Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of the Conspiranormal Podcast. I am your host, Adam Sane. And I'm Luke Reed, co-host. Um, and we want to introduce producer Chris over here on the board. That's All right, so uh, this is the first episode, and uh, what we're going to do basically on this episode, uh, we are eventually going to have guests, but tonight we just want to take the time just to introduce ourselves, talk about who we are, and uh, what we believe on this first episode. Um, so I'm going to start off. As I said, my name is Adam Sane. And I uh, just wanted to go over some things that uh, I believe, uh, some points that I have uh, written down for myself, and uh, I'm going to go over that now. So please uh, take a listen. Right, as I said before, my name is Adam Sane, and I want to go first with uh, why I'm starting this Conspiranormal podcast. So after racking my brain on a name for this show, I finally did settle on the name Conspiranormal. It's a weird name, but it combines two of my keen interests. The name should be obvious to anyone by now represents both conspiracy theory and the paranormal. Both, as shall be noted later, seem to complement each other. And both have a keenly supernatural and spiritual element to them. Okay, so first, I'd like to tell you some things about myself as regards both elements of this show. I want to start first off with the paranormal. Um, Stories of ghosts and strange occurrences have always fascinated and intrigued me. I've always had a strong fascination, um, especially with ghosts. It's always been something that's really interested me ever since I was little. And... uh, I think this is due to some personal experiences in my own early life growing up. 
So <clears throat> for the first nine years of my life, I grew up in what I now believe to have been a haunted house. Um, my parents, uh, when they first got together, um, didn't have a lot of money. So my father was renting uh, the house that he grew up in. And, of course, he was renting that from my grandfather. And the house was kind of old. It was built in the 1920s. And so by the time my grandparents had even took ownership of it in the 50s, it was already around 30 years old. And apparently an old couple had lived there at the time uh, before they moved in at some point. And the first I can really remember about being in that house uh, was being four years old. And I remember waking up one morning. And I remember hearing some voices over my bed, uh, just kind of something that didn't last very long. I just remember hearing just really muffled voices. I kind of put my head under the covers and uh, didn't really do much. You know, I was a little kid, so of course, you know, you don't think of anything of that when you're little. But uh, there was an experience for me that was very interesting, and that happened when uh, I woke up late one night and I saw this old lady sitting in the corner of my room. And I kind of remember it not necessarily as like seeing a ghost. I remember seeing it being like dream, like a dream really. Um, But uh, more on why I think it's a ghost later. But uh, to describe that, I remember this old lady um, taking me like by the hand and the, my room kind of adjoined the bathroom and she went to take me to speak to this old guy in a bathtub. And it was just really quite strange. Really don't understand it. And it seems really weird to recall it. And it seems really unreal. And I kind of equated those old people with my own grandparents on my mother's side. And, you know, I was probably about eight or nine at the time. And I kind of didn't really think a lot about it. I kind of chalked it up to just being a dream. You know, of course, you know, again, when you're little, you don't really think of those things as being weird or unusual. You just go on with your life. But that kind of changed when I was 13, uh, around 13 years old. We went to visit my aunt in Virginia Beach. And uh, this is actually my father's sister. And she lived in the same house of course, where, you know, when she grew up and I was listening to her and my mother recount what had happened to them inside that house. And my mother told her a story about what, about one of her experiences that I'll talk about. But my aunt told my mother that she, when she was a little girl, saw an old lady sitting in the corner of my father and my uncle's room which, of course, later on in time became my room, okay? And she said that she was so frightened that she pulled the covers over her head and she stayed in bed the whole night. And she was really astonished when I told her that, you know, I saw the same thing when I was about eight or nine years old. And I'm pretty amazed by that story because it was a personal experience to me, but another person had experienced it about 25-plus years later. So to me, that was really amazing to see that, you know, she had described this old lady just sitting there in the, in the corner and just kind of looking at her 
and not really minding her own business, which was a little different from my experience and where I thought it was more of a dream and I had an encounter also with an old, older man. But uh, anyway, uh, to go on, um, when we moved out of that house, my mother told me a story of what happened to her. And she had woken up early one morning. She walked in the kitchen. And she was kind of tired. She had just woken up, you know, doing the usual morning things. And she turned the corner, and she saw, like, a small child sitting to the st- next to the stove. Okay, I was really young. I'd say maybe three or four years old at the time. And she assumed it to be me, kind of like in this super of just waking up. And she's like, she tells the kid, she goes, you know, hey, come on, Adam, it's time to go to bed. What are you doing up? It's really early. And she reaches out to pick the child up. It disappears right in front of her. Uh, She rushed in to check on me, and I was sound asleep. And, you know, recalling that story really gives me the chills because when I think about like ghosts of children, that's really disturbing because you have somebody that is a child that is dead and is in discarnate form and that's just creepy. Um, so there were some other experiences that we had in the house and mostly these were me sensing a presence in the house. I remember, um, you know, kind of, like my mom and dad were mad at me and it locked and you know put me in the room, just normal, you know, discipline stuff. And I remember feeling a presence around me, like a protective presence in the house. So it was never anything that felt very threatening to me. And I didn't feel like it wanted to harm me and my family in any way. Uh and it just, you know, it felt protective, like kind of a guardian of the house almost. Uh but I really think still that ghosts kind of need to understand that they scare people and they need not show up as much. Uh, but this is kind of in deep contrast to a lot of other people's experiences. There are people that experience seriously threatening hauntings that manifest themselves in violent form. And these experiences are caused by something more um, that I think are vastly more sinister than my little old lady there in the corner. And one of the things I want to do on this show is I want to explore uh, quote-unquote violent hauntings as one of the subjects on this show. So um, what do I think causes these experiences? Uh, I don't think there's any real answers, only opinions. We're not going to really know until we shuffle off this mortal coil, so to speak. Uh, But there are some who believe that ghosts are just demons kind of masquerading in human form in order to take us away from God. But uh, there might be some truth in that theory, but I don't think so entirely. Uh, I think that uh, sometimes that human spirits will linger for a long time on earth, especially if they suffered a violent death or you lived an unhappy life. And I think there's also the possibility that many are holding on to the material world because we are so used to the material world, and it's the only thing that most of us really know, uh, that people that aren't uh, very spiritual in their walk in life can tend to just hold on. And they also could be afraid that there's some kind of judgment in the other realm that they don't want to go to. Um, I have an own, my own interesting theory about all this. Um, I believe that, that hell can really be considered a realm 
that's really outside of the light of God. And it may be that being trapped in a physical reality, in our physical reality, is a form of hell. Um, I think back to different, um, uh, the Greco-Roman myths about the underworld, about uh, the repetitive nature of some of the things, like the guy that rolls the uh, ball up a hill and then has to roll it down, right, exactly. And I think about like how some ghosts seem to be repetitive, like they'll walk a certain place at a certain time and you know show up at a certain at a cemetery at midnight on january twenty ninth you know uh that it seems to be really random it doesn't seem to be random rather it seems to be more of a uh repetitive and I think that at times, especially in the idea of violent hauntings. I think that um, in a very disturbing aspect of that is that they may be kept here by uh, the demonic, uh, demonic entities. Okay, and I think that those demonic entities act as some kind of guardians to uh, the spiritual realm. Um, I think that they kind of uh, hold the keys, so to speak. That uh, they kind of keep uh, us from reaching heaven on our own and they hold the keys I, that's something i want to explore a lot yeah hold the keys to the lamborghini <laughs> <laughs> all right so um i want to give my statement of belief what i believe who i am um i'm not in any way ashamed to say that i'm a christian uh this is not really the place to explore all the facets of my religious belief but just know that I am a strong believer in an ultimate good and an ultimate evil. And in the unseen world that I hope to explore in this podcast, there is definitely a war going on for the possession of the human spirit. Uh, and I believe this war is being fought between beings that I characterize as the angelic and the demonic. Uh, I think that the angelic and the demonic really are the same type of creature, uh, just that there's one on the good side and there's one on the bad side. Um, so that's all I really want to say, uh, but I think that's going to be an important part of the show, uh, that concept. Okay, so I want to go on, kind of leave the realm of the paranormal, and explore the other aspects of the show, and that's the conspiratorial and the political. And the term conspiracy theory and conspiracy theorist, I think, have become almost derogatory terms in our society. Um, I think there's a lot of people out there that make that so, that um, talk about just the strangest stuff you could possibly imagine, and just is so out there, it but, but people believe it. It just means lunatic. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, besides those people, though, you know, all a conspiracy is is an agreement between two or more people to commit some kind of act, you know, either good or bad, right? So, I mean, history is really replete with it. Um, I actually like to toy around with the idea that a, you know, civilization is in itself the ultimate conspiracy because we all conspire to come together in cities and then in towns and, you know, come up with farming and use tools and, you know, there's something I like to play with being a student of history. Um, and back to history and conspiracy, you know, our, our founding fathers, they 
they really committed treason against the British crown. They decided to break away. Um, and they, they founded our nation, but you know, they could, you know, the, the British had won, uh, they would have dubbed them, tre- you know, treasonous. They would have called them conspirators. They would have given them any name of the book and they probably all would have been hung. You know, this is why, uh, John Hancock, when he signs the declaration of independence, signs it. And so, so large, uh, because you figure, well, hey, we're all, you know, we're all going to be getting in trouble for this anyway, so I might as well just tell them who I am. And they realized that the the, the import of what they were doing and the danger of what they were doing. So, to go on, uh, conspiracy theory, I think is just what it is. It's a theory. Um, you know, we there's a lot of things that we don't know. We can guess. We can come up in our own minds about how we feel about a certain conspiracy theory. Um, but to like an historian, possibly, you know, those things may not be there. Um, but we can, you know, read between the lines and we can put the puzzles together. But no, but we're, we're, but we're never going to open a history book and we're going to say, um, you know, Kennedy was assassinated by the CIA and, uh, you know, it happened on November 22nd, 1963, and there was another shooter on the grassy knoll, and you're never going to see that in a history book. That's never going to happen. But, um, you know, some of those, like I just mentioned the JFK assassination, September 11th, uh, conspiracy theories on that, which I'm going to talk about at length. Uh, yeah, an entire show's worth. Yep, Must and we will have a show exactly on 9-11, and something else called false flag, but I'll get into that in a second. Uh, and the stuff like the moon landings, whether they were real, which I think they were, but there's people we know like, that believe that, you know, it was all fake. Uh, who, who exactly? Oh, you know. And yeah, also UFOs, another, you know, there's conspiracies going Actually, on with that. Yeah, who you're talking about. Oh, you, you know, <laughs> we, can't, we can't say names. Uh, so the list seems to go on and on with conspiracies, uh, you know. There's, but there are some that seem more relevant to me than others, uh, especially about things that are going on now in our current political climate. Uh, the so the first two that I mentioned, and that's JFK assassination and September 11th, uh, they seem really the most pertinent and really the most important to me as they seem to reveal a historical pattern. The two events, to me, are connected. Okay, so first JFK, the JFK assassination. Uh, I remember being around 9 or 10 years old, asking my dad about the assassination, about various things uh, that you know he experienced in his lifetime, like the JFK assassination, Watergate, that kind of stuff. And he explained to me that one guy did it, and then... Uh, two days later, that guy was shot by another guy. So nobody ever really knew what exactly happened, but they were pretty sure that somebody, you know, that this guy Oswald did it alone. Okay. And it was really what bothered me that it was just like the actions of one crazy person that, uh, that did it and that he wanted to make a name for himself. And, you know, that really bothered me. It didn't seem to add up to me. Uh, but you know, as a child, I didn't think very much about it. And when I saw the film JFK uh, in 1991, I was about 15 years old. Uh, it put a lot of pieces of that puzzle together. And 
through that, you know, not to really go into any detail, which we will probably go into some detail later on, but that's another show, uh, became convinced that the assassination was nothing more than a coup d'etat, which, in other words, is a change of government by violent means that was orchestrated by the CIA and its assets. Okay? So, the next event of significance for me in my life and really, the, the main event of significance, let me revise that, was September 11th, 2001. And I remember waking up that morning and not knowing what to think. And we didn't have cable at the time at my apartment. We just had the rabbit ears. So I kind of saw this fuzzy image of New York City on fire. And before that, I'd woken up, and someone that I was supposed to go do something that day called me and said, hey, you need to wake up. I think we're at war or something. And I go downstairs, and there's, you know, the buildings on fire on the TV. And I watched those events unfold with my roommate on TV, and I really had this feeling just that somebody really had pulled something to take over this country, that they had done something that was similar to the Kennedy assassination. But... I listened to the news reports that attributed the blame to Osama bin Laden and to Al-Qaeda. And I, at that time, I felt confident that that's who was behind it. You know, I didn't think anything of it. I just accepted it. And I didn't even question anything as, you know, I go home and then I see this third building fall into its footprint in New York. Okay, that was Building 7. And, you know, a month later, October 7th, 2001, you know, I accepted the invasion of Afghanistan as, you know, we're going to get the bad guys. We're going to go over there as vengeance for the attacks. And that was it. You know, we, were, we weren't going to do anything else. And we are still there. Which there was something that happened to, uh, just this weekend over there. And, you know, I supported President Bush as he carried out those actions. And But I wasn't aware because I didn't really, you know, I just kind of had started watching the news again, basically because of September 11th. But I wasn't aware of the Patriot Act. I didn't know what that was. I had no idea. And, you know, I was, but I was really proud of my country that we'd gone over there. So and, would, would you say that that's really kind of like the pivotal moment that you really started investigating after that? Um, not at that point. I had my suspicions that there might have been something wrong, like especially about the uh, uh, the plane that went down, United 93. I thought, well, I don't really buy the story that the passengers overtook the the, the terrorists and just allowed the plane to crash yeah. in Pennsylvania. I thought, you know, they must have just shot that plane down because there's no way that... Yeah, you know, that's what I thought that make at the much time. Sense, really, because, uh, and I thought, well, they don't want to tell people, hey, they shot a plane down. They don't want to add insult to injury yeah, and say that, right, it's such that, a sensitive time. Right, such a sensitive time. You know, it. it's obvious, hey, it was probably going to Washington. It was probably going to hit the, maybe hit the Pentagon again, or it was going to hit the White House, or it was going to hit the Capitol building, something else. And, you know, that, you know, that's just what you do. You do the math and you say, you know, these many people are going to die or do I let these many people die? I th so I accepted that. It, I don't it, accept it anymore. Not to bypass from reintro too much. But, it's uh, okay. 
Yeah, it doesn't make much sense. To, you know, once the terrorist is overtaken, then they could have gotten in touch with Radio Control Tower, you know, and, and let them land the plane safely. Right. Or, yeah, no, no, I don't think anybody was experienced pilots. But, uh, you know, I'll mention this in a second about at least change 9-11. But, um, you know, what was weird about that was the telephone calls. And, what you know, I look at small things when I look at this stuff. And it, you know, it's like the small things that are the details that just really don't make any sense to me. Yeah. Okay? The guy named Mark Bingham who supposedly was one of the guys that um, tackled the terrorists, tackled one of the terrorists, okay, and stormed the cockpit. I've never heard this. Okay. Supposedly he calls his mother, and he says, Mom, this is Mark Bingham. Look, we're going to, you know, try to take over the plane, and we're going to, you know, try to crash it to the ground. Mom, this is Mark Bingham. When do you use your last name with your mom? Yeah, that's extremely odd. <laughs> it's perhaps, okay, you know, benefit of the doubt, perhaps he was really nervous, which you, you know you would have been. But you think you would have been on a more yeah. emotional level, especially with yeah. your mother when you're about to die. <laughs> okay, and, and it's, it, it's stuff like that that really um, gets me, um, you know, and then as we've talked about with the... Uh, between you and me, Luke, we've talked about the passport. Yeah. That um, that had a <laughs> that that, one of the terror one one of the terrorists' passports <laughs> that uh, oh, flies man. out of the plane through the plume of jet fuel to the ground and is slightly scorched <laughs> and is picked up in rubble and chaos people running you got a pyroclastic flow coming from the buildings and somebody picks up a passport on the ground and says hey look at this no it wasn't 11 years later it was the same day no no no. i'm saying i'm saying 11 years later that this is uh you know it's it's still right it's still fun to talk about it is it just it just doesn't yeah it just doesn't make any sense yeah like you said though it's all the minor details that right yeah it's 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 stuff like that you know how does that happen well i'll tell you how it happens somebody has it in their pocket they take out a lighter they burn it they throw it to the ground and either they pick it back up or they uh or they just allow somebody else to pick it up back to the day of 9-11 and I'll go back to my statement here in a little bit, but back to the day of 9-11. I, think we have um, any time anyway. I remember uh, that day, and I remember being a little weirded out by the fact that uh, at Boston Logan Airport, there was a car full of passports, full of money, full of... Uh, uh, you know, extreme Islamic fundamentalist literature just sitting there for the FBI to find. Very obviously placed. And I was like, and even then, you know, the, the way that day was, I don't know what you guys remember. You know, you guys were much younger, but I, I remember just being like really in shock by that whole day. Yeah, I didn't like not knowing, like not knowing what to think, you know. So when you hear something about that, the very next day or two days later, it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, that must that must be it. You know, you don't. I wasn't thinking, you know, 
the grassy knoll. I wasn't thinking Kennedy. I wasn't thinking, uh, you know, that, hey, they're pulling the same kind of stuff. Uh, I wasn't thinking the, you know, the stuff, the stuff they found on Oswald that, that could incriminate, you know, the, the communist literature in 63 that could have incriminated him. The pictures of him passing out, um, you know, uh, pro Fidel Castro literature on the streets of New Orleans. You know, I didn't think of that stuff at the, when 9-11. You know, I felt like, you know, they're not really connected. But uh, that uh, brings me to the yeah. next part of my statement. Yeah, go ahead. So, you know, a few years passed, and, uh, you know, we invaded Iraq in March 2003. And, you know, we won the war against Saddam. But then the, the occupation was so mismanaged that we ended up fighting, you know, this insurgency. So we were in this, as I've heard it put, a mini Vietnam, you know, and we are kind of in that in Afghanistan now. But, you know, and a truce began to die. And one of the things I remember keenly about that was, was that nobody was allowed to see the coffins coming home because that would have been bad PR. Uh and the weirdness around the Pat Tillman stuff, which, you know, we can talk about later. But, you know, I was disenchanted really with the way that the Bush and the neocons had squandered the goodwill of not only the American people, but also the goodwill of the rest of the nations of the world after 9-11, okay? Uh, Iran had a candlelight visual for the victims of 9-11. You know, the whole world was with the United States at that point. And, but the invasion of Iraq uh, and everything leading up to the invasion of Iraq where we had basically squandered a ton of goodwill with the rest of the world and we even so much as to, you know, uh, strain our relationship with the French. You know, if you historically... You know, the French helped us win our independence. We helped them out a few times. And, you know, I watched uh, Michael Moore's documentary, uh, Fahrenheit 9-11, you know, found out about the Patriot Act, what it was, uh, and really how in the grip of fear after 9-11, and especially the anthrax scare that happened after that, uh, Congress really just passed that bill without reading it, which now is a common practice. The Health Care Act passed without reading, you know, and the Patriot Act itself, to add something to this, was um, this kind of an amalgamation of things that were tried, that were already tried to have been passed and were not passed in previous, you know, sessions of Congress. But then 9-11 happens, and we get the Patriot Act, which combines a lot of those things. And um, so, you know, it's just funny how that worked out as well, especially with the anthrax thing. That kept the fear going with those stupid notes that was trying to pass it off, that it was an Arab that did it, you know. And But I was still convinced at the time, you know, that 9-11... 
was was what it was that it was an attack by Al Qaeda, but it was not. But it was something that was more that it was an excuse to pass these kind of things. That and and it was also an opportunity for the neoconservatives to implement their program in the Middle East and to pass laws in the Patriot Act that they couldn't get implemented before. You know, I thought, you know, they just used it as an excuse. It happened in an opportune time, and that was the reason that they that they did it. Okay. But, you know, it, they didn't cause it. And so one night, I'm listening to a podcast, which was a paranormal podcast, by the way, but they had the makers of Loose Change, 9-11, on. And, you know, initially, I really kind of scorned it, but what I was hearing, but I decided to just, you know, I'll watch the movie. It can be good for a good laugh, right? But what I saw really just blew me away. And I'm sure a lot of people have seen this movie, so I won't really belabor this, but uh, but when I watched it, you know, I remembered my studies on JFK. And I, I realized that the same kind of dirty tricks were being implemented, uh, though this time on a much larger scale than before. And one of the things that I remembered keenly from my study of history was about the rise of Hitler in, in 1930s Germany. And the Reichstag, which was the government building, was actually burned by the Nazis and blamed on the communists so they could use that climate of fear to grant Hitler unlimited power, which they did. Because they were so afraid, oh, the communists have burned the Reichstag. The communists are gonna, are gonna get us. The communists are coming over the gates, and they're gonna just completely destroy our society. And it's things that we're saying now about, um, not just terrorists, but what we believe is behind terror. A lot of Americans believe is behind terrorism, which is you know Islamic fundamentalism. This whole thing about Sharia law, of which here in Middle Tennessee, we are right in the middle of it. Uh, this whole thing about Sharia law, that they're coming over the gates, and, you know, it's the same attitude, the same fear, okay? And I also remembered about what the direct cause of World War II. And, the you know, the Germans, they attacked a radio station on their own soil, which was right across the border with Poland, and they used political prisoners dressed as Polish sol- soldiers and they shot them all. And this was to make, not, it really was, they had already planned to attack Poland. It was already in the drawing board. And, but they wanted to make themselves seem the aggressors. Uh, not to seem the aggressors. But to make Poland seem like it was the aggressor. Okay, and that started World War II. And, you know, a new word that I learned was the word false flag. Which means um, that you are pulling off a terrorist attack and you are blaming it on somebody else. And that way you can get the government to do what you want them to do. Allowing it to and the people to do what you want them to do. Right. Yeah. And that's something that we're going to talk about uh, a couple of shows from now. I want to talk about uh, uh, kind of the history of that. But then also want to have a guest on, someone that I know that knows a lot about uh, something called Operation Gladio, which took place in Western Europe in, uh, throughout the Cold War. And these guys in Italy, 
they would pull off uh, terrorist attacks uh, and, and blame it on the communists. They blame it on their political opposition. Okay, and he does a lot of detail about that, not just with Italy, but uh, Spain and Portugal, Turkey, Greece, those countries. And this was called the, the strategy of tension. And I think in many ways, that's what we're under now here in this country. I think the CIA loves to do, take things that uh, they do and other, they do and have learned in other countries and bring them over here. Okay, and it made sense to me that some dark corner of our government, they'd perpetrated 9-11 in order to bring an expansion of American power into the Middle East, okay, while at the same time increasing government control of the people at home. It had two purposes, dual purpose. And uh, whether this was done by making it happen or letting it happen, it kind of still remains to be seen on my end because I can see, and I'll go through this later on, much later, that it's possible that it could have been, um, you know, Al-Qaeda, but then who is Al-Qaeda? What are they? You know, these are the same guys that we, we helped in uh, to um, beat the Soviets in Afghanistan in the 80s. We trained these guys. So are there some links still? Okay. And uh, I remember, as a side note, I remember that the summer of 2001, before 9-11, I remember seeing all these news reports about terrorists coming to America, about anthrax being used uh, as a potential terrorist weapon. And I remember the big movie of that summer was Pearl Harbor. And yes, it was the 60th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. But it's fascinating to me that 9-11 was supposedly this other Pearl Harbor, and there's a movie that comes out in the summer, two months before 9-11 or so, that is Pearl Harbor. Okay, I just feel that the United States, that we are being prepared, like uh, of psychological mental preparation. That goes into mind control, that goes into psychological warfare, and that's also another thing that I'm so, really going to touch on in this so show. An emotional movie like that to kind of add yeah. to the already, you know, yeah. Hysteria. In fact, when I was in Atlanta, I lived there in Atlanta when 9/11 happened. I was driving home. Uh, I think it was that night. They were playing "God Bless the USA." God bless the USA. <laughs> they were playing that on uh, on the radio, and um, the billboard for Pearl Harbor was still like over this gas station close to my house. <laughs> I mean, just just right there. So, you know, I've studied more and more of our history, United States history, um, and I, I started to see more and more evidence that those same type of actions were taken. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, do not believe that these things can happen in the United States of America because we as Americans believe that we're part of an enlightened democratic society, that these things cannot possibly happen, that we cannot have false flag terror attacks, that our president cannot be assassinated by a, you know, a government agency. But you know, we need to get over that because you know, 
we need to realize that we're no different from any other nation. And these things did, can, and they will happen again. Um, so to me, a conspiracy theory, it's just not the purview of weirdos and lunatics. Uh, there's a lot of those, as I said earlier, but I think they raise real questions about how the powers that be operate. Okay. And I think that they also challenge that accepted view of reality that are, you know, foisted on us by the media and they allow us to challenge ourselves, I think, to find some semblance of the truth in our lives. And I think that they allow us to question. We may be completely wrong, but if we're questioning, you know, we're just not, you know, we're not, we're not blind. And then, you know, if we do just walk around and just blindly accept, you know, what good is democracy? What good is it? You know, why even have it? So, you, you know, you might as well call what we have something else and... That's uh, fascism. Go look at that. Look that word up. So that really brings me back around to the supernatural, and you know I don't think that these happen just because people want power. Yes, that is a driving force of it, but I think you need to to uncover the veil somewhat, and. I think that it's also a part of that cosmic battle between good and evil, between the angelic and demonic, and I think the struggle within our own souls, whether we're good, bad, whatever we are. And to say this, a little history lesson, I think that since ancient times, humankind has always been divided in essentially two groups. You know, you got the elite and you got everybody else. It's not Republicans and Democrats, people. It's the elite and everyone else. I'm going to sound like Alex Jones. You know, the elite, they, you know, they have their own belief system, and that's really apart from the rest of humanity because they believe that, as the serpent said in the garden to Eve, that they can become as gods. And whatever you believe, you know, whether you believe that that is a literal story or whether you believe that is a metaphor, I think it just it works as well either way. Okay. And I'm going to interject my belief system here for just a moment. You know, I think that when Christ came, he suffered and died for humanity. He did it all. He did it for all of humankind and, and just not just the elite. But a hundred years or so after Christ came, uh, a belief arose in the Roman world, the Western world, that Christ had taught a secret doctrine. Uh, this was something that was known as Gnosticism. And that said that really any man, but it was for people that could figure it out. So more the elite, the elitist people that Christ had taught this secret doctrine. Okay. And that this was called knowledge. I believe that Gnosticism never really died, as some people say. Uh, some scholars say that it died, that it had no effect. I think it transmitted itself through the cultism, through the mystery schools that were in the Greco-Roman and Middle Eastern world, and eventually ended up in the Knights Templars, into Freemasonry, and secret societies. And I'm not one of these people, let me say, that I don't really believe that 
you know, you've got the Bavarian Illuminati out there, and they're the main ones, and they're going to kill everybody and, and all this. But I, I just think that there's many groups out there that are fighting each other and that they want to be as gods, okay? And the elite still believe that they are, in a sense, gods, that anything they do is beyond morality. And this makes it easier for them to justify their ends, justify the means philosophy. Um, and I want to add something here that there's a term bandied about now called transhumanism, which means more than human. Uh, this is something that has been various authors, but uh, I've been looking into this guy named Ray Kurzweil. And Kurzweil um, talks about the singularity. At some point, man and machine are going to combine. There's going to be a singularity between man and machine. Um, I watched a documentary about Kurzweil, and he is an atheist. He does not believe in God. And when he was asked whether he thinks God uh, exists, he said, not yet. I'm not saying that he thinks he'll be God, but uh, I think these guys seeing themselves as gods. And if you think about, um, you know, they talk about it as if it's such a wonderful thing that, you know, people are going to live till they're 500. But what people? Who? Who's going to live to 500? It's probably going to be the people that, are, that have the money, right? It's going to be the elite. It's not going to be, you know... Joe Bob drinking beer in his in his trailer. Okay, so uh, <laughs> like that's that. <laughs> that's enough for me now. I just want to turn it over to Luke, and uh, he might differ with me in some of these things, but uh, yeah. But okay. I just you know points of view is what I want on this show, and my goal on this show. Let me say this real quick before I hand it over to Luke is, um, you know I'm a Christian, uh, Luke is not, and I want that to be a cool dynamic for the show. I think that, you know, I think it's going to work as far as discourse. And when we have guests on, we're going to have guests that are going to be Christian, but then we'll have, you know, we'll have guests that are going to be, you know, just way out there and <laughs> and are not, you know, they're going to be more new age. That's exactly what's going to make the show interesting. Is exactly what's going to make it interesting. I'll challenge them and... Luke can challenge my guests, and, you know, I think that would be cool. So, without further ado, Luke, you want to take it? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first of all, uh, I didn't really put much input into that entire segment just because I wanted to make sure that he fit his uh, entire intro into this first episode. And uh, just to let you guys know, um, the next episode, you know, the episodes from now on in the series after we get our intros out of the way are going to be more of an exchange. Um, right. Oh, we're just saying an hour, right? Like fifteen minutes. Just go, just go on. Don't worry about it. Just when we're done talking, we're talk- we're done. Okay. Um. <laughs> and also, too, let me say, you know, um, I want the style to be conversational. I don't want it to be like, oh, we got to, you know, we're up against the clock. A lot of that will be depend on our producer Chris here yeah. and what he has to do. But, you know. Um, you know, I don't want to feel like we're up against the clock. And uh, with guests, we will have to be a little more because they, they, they'll have, they will have, you know, a limited amount of time. But we don't. So just, you know, do what you need to do. Just go. Just go.
Well, all right. Uh, my name's Luke Reed. I was born and raised on a farm in Middle Tennessee. Yeehaw! <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, pretty much the boondocks. Uh, my parents aren't religious, and the best way to do describe my mother's system of beliefs is uh, spiritual. You know, my dad didn't really pay any attention, you know, just never really talked about his religious beliefs or anything. Um... Let me ask you a question. Were they, like, what was, was like, uh, grandparents, church people, or what were uh, they? No. uh uh-uh, Not really. I was, yeah. I kind of the same Kind of the same here, man, so, you know. No. I'm thinking back to all the grandparents, uh, and I don't think a single one of them right. were actually. Right. Uh, kind of the same here. Churchgoers, but uh, you know, I consider myself to be the same. I'm, I'm spiritual, too. Uh, my beliefs, I are really dynamic, you know, they're always changing. So, uh, that's kind of the best label I could put on is it's just spiritual, you know. I don't really fall on, under one category. Um, when I was younger, like most people, I felt more in tune with nature. Uh, and today it seems that most people continue to appreciate and love nature, but they've lost touch due to distractions and a desire for convenience. You know, nine to five jobs and everything. Uh, I feel like there's a a deeper level to nature and stuff. There's there's clues, you know, uh, or, or like a flow, a consistency to kind of tune into. Um, now, sometimes research history to find clues to our civilization's origin, but like I rely heavily on initial feelings too. Uh, You know, the world is so old that there really is no way to get solid facts about our past. Uh, There are a lot of facts throughout history, I know that, you know, solid. But, um, (laughs) I'm going to edit that out later. (laughs) Um, I'm going to go on to the paranormal. Uh, I haven't had many experiences with the paranormal. Uh, I've had a couple rough times in my life that I've blamed on dark energy or demons. And uh, some I've got some superstitions too, which kind of, you know, that is paranormal, definitely. Hey, share um, share the story about uh, you being at the graveyard. Yeah, uh, that's one That's one that falls in. That's exactly what I'm talking about, the superstition. Uh, so I was, I was with a girl kind of on a date, you know, sh- uh, showing her around graveyard. We'd both never been there. It's... Uh, Mount Olivet? Yeah, Mount Olivet. Yeah. And it has, like, Nashville's founders buried there and everything. It's a real historic site. Tons of obelisks and statues and stone angels. Oh, yeah, yeah loads of masons. Yeah. <laughs> but we're, uh, we're walking around. Iron the pyramid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm resting. We, well, she decides to rest first, and uh, she sits on the gravestone with me, I believe, if I remember correctly, and... I sat down next to her, and it, it was on a mason's gravestone. He looked really important. You know, it was a statue on top, and okay. it had the Masonic symbol. Three different Masonic symbols, actually. Uh, I'm not sure what they mean. Um, but anyway, I, I sat on this gravestone, and I'm a skateboarder. You know, I, I go to the skate park, skate, you know, as many as much as I can when the weather's nice. So after our little date there at the graveyard, I didn't think anything of it, and I had went to the skate park. And started skating in the bowl, and it's something that I always do, you know. It, just to get a warm-up, I'll get in the bowl and just kind of do a few laps around it without doing tricks or whatever. And uh, 
I fell and fractured my kneecap just like right off the bat. Uh, I don't even really know how it happened. You know, the board kind of like slid out from underneath my feet. Seemed like some dirt on uh, some dirt on the bottom or something like that. But I'm I'm a better skater than that. Stuff like that usually doesn't happen. So I kind of link the two, you know, sitting on the gravestone and falling yeah. like that. So that that's enough for me to kind of be superstitious about touching gravestones and stuff from now on. You think you might have made somebody mad when you did that? Yeah, because oh. um, you know, part of my beliefs with the uh with the gravestones is like that's a that's a place for a spirit to kind of inhabit, you know, if they decide to come to earth and visit, that's a place for them to inhabit and become like a part of the stone, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, it makes sense cuz I think, you know, it goes back to what I was saying about um you know, ghosts being here because they're somehow trapped in the physical reality. Yeah. Um, and they may want to be trapped in physical reality and they may not want to leave. So, yeah. um, that whole field is, is really like a gray area, you know, no, no one really knows can look into that, but it, it seems to me like, uh, after a lot of spirits, after, after someone passes and their spirit doesn't realize that they're dead yet. And so they linger here until they eventually find their way, however that is. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said to that because I think a lot of ancient um, you know, cultures and even uh, what we deem, quote-unquote, primitive cultures, um, you, know, you have the whole concept of ancestor worship. And I think that, you know, I think they understand somehow, you know, why you got to put, you know, cake out for grandma after she dies and... You know, I think that there's a little bit more in tune with those kind of things. So yeah, and uh, yeah, as far as the whole cake thing goes, like, uh, they're going to appreciate it. You know, think about yourself. You put yourself in your own shoes in the afterlife. Even though you can't physically interact with these gifts, it's still like a, you know, it's still a nice commodity to have. You know, the living are still thinking about me. Right. And um, you know. What else you got there, boy? So, uh, I don't believe that spirits are physically capable of making a pre- like a an influence on like objects and things. And I also don't believe that they're capable of making noises or any any kind of sounds because just personally, I haven't had an experience. Uh, sure, I may have covered that already, but um. Yeah, my beliefs are subject to change. I'm not like rock solid in this, but I still haven't had an experience, like a real pivotal moment that made me believe that spirits interacted with right. the physical world. Well, let me say this about what you're talking about. Um, you know, the the plethora of ghost hunting shows that are on TV. You know, you you got them going in and uh, after they get out of the gym and and going in and yelling at ghosts, <laughs> and uh, you know, I there may be something to that. I I look at it like the EVP stuff. I used to be really into that and listening to that stuff, and um, you know, I don't know. Um, and taking pictures of something fuzzy and saying, oh, it must be a ghost. Ectoplasm. Yeah. <laughs> spheres. 
what I've really started really like to watch now is people talking about their experiences. Yeah. Because it's, it's not it to a, a real personal. Yeah. Level because it, a lot of that is mental too. It's mental from the from the perspective from the viewer. You know. Right. And and if they have some kind of evidence that might support it, um, th- or if they have reliable witnesses that might support it, then it brings it even more. You know, uh, as I said before, you know, when we're talking about nine eleven and we're talking about small things, I think then too small things add up with this phenomenon too. That there's more than just. You know, it doesn't have to be the big thing where you got a ghost in a box and you show it off to the world. I think people that experience it, like I, like I was recounting my experience with uh, myself and my aunt seeing the ghost that I saw 25 years earlier. You know, it's just it's it's an experience like that, uh, and people's personal experience, and 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 seeing the emotion that they have when they recount the story. Yeah, is. I think worth more than just that's any a, kind of evidence. That's a telltale sign that right. the experience is either exaggerated or it actually happened to them, and they because you, you can tell through the emotion, you know, if, if that really happened, right? The way they described it, because o- over the years, you know, just like any story, it, it, as it gets passed along, gets watered down and exaggerated, and so forth. Not right. necessarily you know, their fault. It's just what happens when something. But now, yeah, now we have all of our media now, and we have such an interest in ghosts that people now come forward, and I think it's more accepted. Uh, whereas before, it was kind of like, "Oh, you saw a ghost? You must be crazy." Yeah. You know, now people, you know, look at it and say, "You know, hey, I had an experience. You know, I, I saw these things, and you know, the violent haunting stuff interests me too because you know, I think that lends." Um, some credence to my own beliefs and that, you know, these things are real and these things still happen. You know, um, I'm going to tell you as just as far as my belief goes, you know, we actually were talking about this today. You and I were talking about how, you know, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the Bible and, you know, I've been going to church and uh, just kind of like, listening to the pastor preach about, uh, this is not the church that I go to now, but, you know, talk about how, you know, you, you know, Jesus is going to help you and you're going to, you're going to have, you know, you can have a lot of money and you can be happy and, and, you know, and I don't really know if there's anything wrong with that. I'm not into the whole prosperity gospel thing. I noticed that. It's yeah, kind of pushing the whole materialism. Yeah, it's pushing the materialism. But at the same time, when I actually read the New Testament, I read the Gospels. I like, you know, Jesus, Jesus is casting out demons all over the place. There's a ton of supernatural stuff going on here, yeah. and you know, I, I'm not hearing it. Yeah. When I go to church on Sunday, <laughs> I'm hearing about how you know you can live your best life now, but uh, I'm not hearing it when I when I'm walking in church. It, it is. Uh, it's definitely like the preference of the preacher too, because uh, you know, depending on if you, you got to find that right church that will yeah. really read between the lines and talk about the deeper right. thing, deeper interpretations and everything. And there is, there are moral things, and there are, you know, all that's there. But you know, um, I think a lot of churches now are ignoring the supernatural the aspect side, because yeah. oh, it might freak somebody out. Yeah. Um, but uh, back to the. 
can't really say the name of the show, but a popular ghost hunting show. <laughs> it seems to me like if you were to uh, try to get any kind of reaction from a spirit, that that would be the best way to do it is to anger them, to really call them out, you know. That would be my method. Sounds <laughs> kind of silly, doesn't it? And I actually saw that show that you're talking about one time in this uh, traditional Catholic priest or bishop actually berate the guy for doing that and say, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, you know. In the show? Like, hey, you might piss something off. In an episode? In an episode, yeah. Huh. Actually, you know, and you, you also might, hey, you know. Uh, to me, it's like going to the lion's den at the zoo and 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 taunting the lions. Yeah, but see, that's and I you know, hey, and the lions, the lions have uh, you know they got fangs and they got claws, and they're <laughs> they're not they may not be as intelligent as you, but I can tell you that if you're going to go in there to a haunted location and you're going to try to take on a demon, that thing, even though I believe that we can have power over it. That thing, if you don't know what you're doing, that thing is tons more wise than you are, has ton more power than you do. That's a celestial being you're messing with. Yeah. So. That's the that's my thing. My thing is that uh, I don't uh, I don't really feel like there's a lot of powerful demons out there. I think they're kind of rare, far and few between. You know. And, uh, well, there are people that believe it. There are people that, and, and there are people that aren't even, don't even come from it from, uh, the Christian point of view, like I do, that believe that there are negative entities. And some people just think, you know, that they could possibly be something that feeds on us and, yeah. and, and feeds on our energy, yeah. which is possible. That's, um, something that I meant to include in my intro later was, uh, demons and how I feel like it's it's more of a mental it's more it's more mental than it is like physical like if um, you know a demon possessing you rather rather than a demon actually possessing you it's it's birthed in the mind the, the demon is inside your head the demon is y your thoughts uh, the contradictory thoughts kind of like being bipolar you know it's like the dark side of you Kind of like, kind of like an, it, yeah, kind of like an id. Uh, yeah, but even that's possible, and that's yeah. something that I think we need, we're going to explore. But uh, you know, too, uh, think about what I was going to, where I was going with this. Yeah, there, there actually was a study that um, was done in. I, I can't remember the university. I'd have to really look everything up now, but. Um, these people, they consciously came up with a ghost and gave it a name. And then all of a sudden, phenomenon started to happen to them. They knew this wasn't a real ghost. They knew it wasn't real. Mm -hmm. But, like, phenomenon started happening to them. So it's possible that, you know, we even have... We possibly have latent abilities ourselves that we're not really we don't really tap into as much. Yeah, uh, you know, animals seem to have those abilities. You know, a dog can sense things uh, that we can't. Um, 
And the, the, I heard a study once where it's possible that, uh, you know, animals, that their sixth sense, so to speak, may be more of a, a more primeval thing than, you know, that we just don't use anymore. Yeah. And I was going to add, and one thing I didn't add about my mother uh, and her side of the family, you know, her, her grandmother uh, was like a fortune teller for the little Greek community in Wisconsin. And, uh, you know, she grew up, you know, kind of having the same kind of, you know, having dreams that would come true and those kind of things. So that's, I think that's, it's, I think it's somewhere in our DNA as well. Yeah, that's a rare gift. Uh, I heard maybe a couple people in my entire lifetime that had the ability to dream something that actually comes true yeah. or, or it'd be symbolic. And then, um, I've had moments too like that. It, it, come, it does come true like a, Right. The future. That's that's rare. I've had dreams too like that, but it's usually about mundane things. Like uh, I'll dream that I'm sitting with some certain people, and then all of a sudden I get the sense of deja vu. I think that happens to a lot of people too. Yeah. So you'll remember bits and pieces that you've forgotten. Is there anything else you want to add? Uh, I think we can wrap up the show. Okay. Well. Um, I want to thank everybody that's out there listening. You probably are listening to this on a podcast, and you may be listening to it when we um, are a little better at this. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I feel I feel good. Um, you know, I really, you know, we're gonna next uh, next time we're gonna have a special guest who has been a mentor and a friend to me, and uh, he will be on to share some thoughts. And we'll speak to him about some of these subjects. But uh, until next time, uh, thank you for tuning in to the Spirit Normal.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.